As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Buongiorno, podders on the Tyne, or maybe I should say ciao, pod on the Tyners. I don't know, one of the two. But this is George. This is Milan that I'm speaking to you from. It's a grey Milan. It's quite muggy. It's a bit drizzly. But it's amazing because Newcastle United are back in the Champions League and the day has come around at last. Can you believe it? Can you honestly believe that I'm saying that? It's extraordinary. And do you know the even more extraordinary thing is that this city and the San Siro Stadium is where Newcastle last play a group away stage match in the Champions League. And it was 20 years ago. And it was Sir Bobby Robson's team and it was Alan from work scoring a couple of goals in front of 10,000, 12,000 Geordies who'd made the trip over. And it was one of those extraordinary nights. And although it didn't feel like it at the time, and Sir Bobby Robson talked about learning and talked about it being a new experience for his players, it actually turned out to be an ending. Because apart from that uh, match against Partizan Belgrade in the third qualifying round the next season... That was it in terms of Champions League football. And as we all know, the prospect of European competition just dissipated from there for a very long time. Anyway, I spoke to Alan from work, a.k.a. the one and only Alan Shearer, for a piece that we've written together about this match, and you'll be hearing from him soon. And I have to say, we're two men of a certain age, we're both 53, and his memories, his specific memories of the match were pretty limited, aside from the incredible bank of Geordie supporters who were there in the Curvasud watching the team. And my memories weren't great too, to such an extent that I actually got to Newcastle Airport this morning very, very early, and I did something quite strange. I googled my own name, I googled the Times, who I worked for back then, and I put in the scoreline, and I wasn't quite sure, but sure enough, a match report came up which had my name on it. I was there, I was in the stadium. I've got no memory of it whatsoever. I'm sure I was working very hard. I'm sure I was hungover from drinking the night before, clearly. And it was all a bit of a blur, but hopefully Newcastle are gonna make some more memories 
this week. It's just incredible to be here. My head's spinning a bit. Anyway, here's some of that chat with Alan. Sometimes in life you feel the fight is over, over. And it seems as though the riding's on the we had some great nights in the Champions League. It's remarkable how many memories we've sort of got in it. Oh, Dyer was fooled by that's a penalty. And you know who's going to take it. It's going to be Alan Shearer with a chance of a hat trick. So it's to be the overlord of St. James's. Two goals already. It's his 15th hat trick, his first for three and a half years, and St. James's Park rises as one to their number one. It's played instead to Griffin. Oh, good work from Andy Griffin. Then he's just overrun Andy. No, it's gone in. Andy Griffin. Shearer. It's a good jump. It's Kieran Dyer. Fast back wandering. Oh, and Dyer blocked. Bellamy. It's in. Away from Cooley, Craig Bellamy, and Shearer! This can happen, you know, this can happen! I mean, we could take Gunn there and getting a 2-2 draw after being out of Europe for so long next week, I guess, depending on the circumstances, but no way did we ever contemplate that being our last game. We thought we were going places, yeah. Getting a little bit of fortune, here's Kieran Dyer. And a chance for Amiobi! What a story that is! Shola Amiobi! At the new Camp for Newcastle United. And he's very nearly silenced the place. Play by Gillespie, going down that line. Sergei chasing after him. The cross coming in and it's a good one! It's a hat-trick! That's where you want to be as a big football club and we always think that ours is a big one and it's been out of it for so long. you got to enjoy it because you just never know. I suspect this is not going to be our last time, particularly where no. the club is now. But I know one thing, that I think it was a bloody brilliant draw to get those three teams. And I don't think it's impossible for us to, uh, to get out of it. Wow, incredible stuff. Hello, welcome to Pot on the Time with me, Taylor Payne, Chris Woff and Jacob Whitehead are also here. Thanks to George for that lovely message. Chris, things are getting a bit real now, aren't they? This is all a little bit vivid and a bit real. It is. No, that's really that's really got my juices flowing. It's enough about your juices, Chris. <laughs> Fair. Pure sausage fat. <laughs> exactly, yes. My cholesterol levels. But actually, I just want to say that's quite different to the message I received back from George this morning. I texted saying safe travels and joy to which he replied with walk up at two massive queues at Newcastle airport next to Luke Edwards on first flight massive queues in Amsterdam may as well kill me so 
George George is very much enjoying this trip. You know, he gets to go to Milan, so when he fans want to be there, George is, George is going to be at the San Siro, and he's already whinging yeah. just as he left Newcastle. So, yes, very George. Just noticed before he left the house just how far further south it, Milan is to Brighton, and it's just exploded with rage, hasn't it? Exactly, that's him done for the season now. Yeah. Jacob's here as well. Jacob, you all right? I'm good. How is it going? It's all right. How did you feel listening to that Champions League uh, package there? Well, as we've already established, I don't know any history to do with Newcastle since before about 2007. If you know, it didn't exist if it happened before then. So I quite enjoyed sort of George telling me this fairy tale. Um, don't know if it happened. You know, might exist, might not exist. Concept of Australia, all of that sort of thing. Unbelievable. Well, get on this, Chris, as well. I've just had a message there to say that the NUST are warning of a train strike in Milan as well. <laughs> George won't be using trains in Milan. He'll be he'll be in the stretch limos. As a... In his Armani suit, yeah. He'll be in his full-on sort of designer. Probably gone straight there. As soon as he arrives, he'll be going straight to one of the designer shops. Now, I had visions of him on a moped with, you know, like with his like linen pants like turned up. A pair of like Birkenstocks on, and a, and a, and a shirt open down to here, and, his, and a dog, a, do, a little, a little dog, a little designer dog, just sat in a little bag next to him. In a bag, yeah, absolutely, yeah, and a tiny little coffee, yeah. Well, what I also, what absolutely. I'm also looking forward to, um, and I'm sure most Newcastle fans going on, is that the, there is all these statistics about the lack of toilets in the away end at, at, yeah. at San Siro. That there's going to be like something like twelve between three thousand or something like that. So yes, that could be pretty grim. Just rivers of shit and piss running down the the, stand, the the stands of the San Siro. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Milan in, in the late summer. Oh, what a place. Chris, do you research the restroom to capacity at every stadium you visit? Oh, well, I have to because, as George will attest, I have the smallest bladder in the world. So uh, I have to do that. So that's that's the first thing I look for. Right then, let's crack on. Now you can read George's full interview with Alan Shearer. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic via theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to pay just £1 or $1 a month for 12 months, depending on where you are geographically. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, we'll return to that Milan trip later on the show, but much like Eddie Howe and the boys, we have a job to do on Brentford before we can think about the San Siro. So let's get stuck into Saturday's nonsense, shall we? Uh, Chris, my voice is slightly hoarse this morning. That's because I was screaming twat at Craig Pawson for a good 20 minutes in that second half. Well, I was in Sheffield this weekend on uh, a stag do and I'd booked a... Um, pub to watch, to watch the game so actually just a shout out to Joe who I met who's a Newcastle fan who uh, who came to watch the game alongside us um, big fan of the pod so that was that was great to hear but there, there was there was sort of 20 of us watching the match about 13 or 14 of them Newcastle fans 
And uh, also, when you ally, when you ally that with a little bit of alcohol that I may have consumed, a little bit, I wouldn't say that my analytical glasses were on the best of sort of form on Saturday. But equally, uh, sat in the room, I was trying to be as level headed as I possibly could. And with some of the decisions that I'm sure we'll get into, I was sort of, I think, more on the. The, I was I was trying to be as, as neutral as I could, whereas a lot of Newcastle fans felt that the referee had an absolute nightmare, as I've heard from a lot of people subsequently. And I did think he didn't have a brilliant match. One thing I will say in his defence is I've seen a lot of people, and they said it on the TV, complain about the fact that he took some time to make some decisions. Now, I actually don't have so much of an issue with that. I'd actually, no, I actually, I actually wish referees but I'm not saying that he came to necessarily the correct decision and partly that may have been due to indecision that he was relying on the linesman but also if the linesman's got a better view of something and if he wants to take a little bit of time to think about it I think more referees should do that so mm. in that element I'd sort of defend him a little bit but yes I think it was very much an afternoon which was dominated by the decisions that were and were not given. Well, we'll get into those talking points in just a bit and those different decisions and the, the opinions on them. But Jacob, Brentford had the better of those early exchanges, didn't they? There was quite a lot of nervous energy inside St. James's Park. Yeah, for sure. Their midfield settled really impressively. Jensen looks like a really impressive player for them. Um, and he actually was evading the press really well. And you're a little bit worried after the kind of bowling lanes which opened up in Newcastle's midfield against Brighton two weeks ago, there's a bit of, oh no, but actually Pope's save from Hickey was really impressive because I think it takes a little flick off Burn on the way through. Yeah. Managed to just about stop it with his chest, neck. Um, and really good that they managed to weather that. I think there's a sign of Brentford's confidence at one point where they sort of sent every single player up for a corner and it only took sort of Gordon jogging up to halfway to sort of remind them, um, yeah, saw that. oh, hang on, you know, we did temper their optimism a little bit. Um so in that way, it, it was impressive that Newcastle managed to sort of fight, scrap their way back into it and shut down that Brentford midfield. What was rather odd about that is, uh, as, as, again, as I said, because I was watching the game and I, and I wanted to, to see the highlights again. I watched Match of the Day yesterday once I got back. And on the Match of the Day highlights, they did not have the Nick Pope save, which I thought was a bit bizarre. I know, I know there was more action sort of in the second half, but it was quite a big chance in the first half and it was quite a good reaction save. Yeah. And it was, I, I rewounded to see whether I just had a brain fart and I'd missed it, but no, it generally wasn't in there. So, and Brentford did very much, I, I thought, looked composed nearly stages. I think if Mbomo had had any sort of ability on the day to cross or shoot, then Brentford probably would have scored. He had a few times he got into very good positions, was causing a lot of problems, and then his, his first touch just wasn't there. But I mean, Newcastle didn't actually have a shot for the first 28 minutes, which says a lot about how they sort of started the game. Yeah, Brentford did unsettle them, sort of long balls, send them down channels, dragging defenders out of position really sort of beaten Newcastle's press to a certain degree and also when they needed to Brentford pressed and, and caused Newcastle some problems. So I thought I thought that that it was it was a match where really Newcastle had to think on their feet and sort of problem problem solvers they went and thankfully they were able to do that, unlike maybe against Liverpool in the second half where where they didn't quite have the answers to those questions. I suppose you were probably quite pleased they didn't have a shot to the twenty eighth minute, seeing as you were telling me that you had to finish your drink every time there's a shot on target. <laughs> Yeah, that was. I, I'd, I'd messaged the group beforehand, just said, "Can you make sure, lads, that you don't have a shot early on? Because otherwise, I'm going to be struggling here." So that was, that was definitely my fault. Well, yeah, that allowed you to make it to 11 p.m. So you know, it, they've helped you out. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Newcastle did grow into it though, didn't they, Jacob? And that Bruno headed chance, uh, there was some good pressure as well around that. But is that a good save or is that a bad miss? Do you think? At the time, I was very much. He should have buried that. Yeah. Watched it back, and I do actually think he does well. He's he's clever enough to send it low. Send it down, where, has he? Yeah. Exactly, and 
ultimately the goalkeeper's legs are a lot thinner than his trunk and he does do well I think he is just quite unlucky I I, I saw going for the torso hit combination yeah I think it is just unlucky it's reaction he gets on target I think maybe it is just one of them but yeah it, it was actually one thing I was remarking on was how it was quite good that when Newcastle were creating chances it was relatively spread out throughout the side Gordon and Barnes both creating stuff Trippier Bruno coming onto it, it didn't feel like the chance creation was purely reliant on one source. And I will say as well that I was really impressed with Dan Byrne in possession, who's sometimes been knocked. But actually, if you kind of look at build-up play Newcastle's passing maps, he's almost as important in Trippier this game in terms of progressing the ball, him linking up with Anderson and Barnes on the left. And I think Byrne really helped the relatively inexperienced left-hand side of Anderson and uh, Barnes to settle. Well, I agree with the variety point that the Jacob makes. I think the the an issue that Newcastle have at the moment, which I think is something that they're working on and going to work through, is they do look a very system based side now, and in some ways that looks predictable. Yeah. Sides know what they're going to try to do to a certain extent. It's good that they can have different options in terms of whether it's Gordon on one side, Barnes on the other, whether it's Trippier providing, but. When you take out someone like Alan St. Maximan, who was frustrating in many ways, but offered something completely different and could break the system, you now feel like most of the players out there are very much fitting into this system. And if it isn't quite working as it wasn't during that first half, it's hard to see at this moment in time where that sort of X factor is going to come from, where the different point is going to come from. I do think it will come in time. And I think once they actually get better at producing what they need to do in this system as well, it will come in time. But when a side is lacking confidence a little bit, when things haven't been quite going for them, you can see the sort of limitations to a certain degree about something which is in so ways so scripted in many ways. I mean, I know we're not a, a kind of lumbered into the box sort of team now, are we? But um, I was watching Callum Wilson quite a lot in that first half as Newcastle were attacking the end I was sitting in. And there was times when he was starting to look a little bit frustrated at the lack of the ball coming in the box. And I know sometimes you do need to recycle. It needs to go back out. You need to find a better angle and try and play the pass through. But sometimes as well, you just need to get a ball across the defence and catch them unawares. And Wilson is the kind of player who thrives on that sort of um, service. And at times in that first half, I thought he could have done with a bit more of that, you know. It has been a bit of a recurring theme of Newcastle season that they have struggled to involve a striker in play. Mm. I mean, it's it's been similar with Isaac. I remember looking at it a couple of weeks ago and they're very low for touches in the box amongst forwards um, yeah. and obviously Wilson you saw him in the second half loves kind of actually even if he's not necessarily got a high chance of success just kind of getting in there and sending elbows really yeah absolutely um, <clears throat> speaking of sending elbows um, Fabian Cher a bit of a facial slash head injury klaxon usually round about the 30-35 minute point in the game but I think he left it a bit later this time um, also I have to shout out for his massively over the top feigned incredulity when he clattered Wissa in the in the, uh, in the first half as well. That was uh, the second half. Sorry, that was that was hilarious. Uh, but Fabian Cher, a curse upon the family of anybody who marks the face of that gorgeous man, Chris Wolf. Do you think he looks for it though? Like as, as an, I don't mean he's, I don't mean he didn't get it in the face because he did. But like every single game, just about for him to get it. Do you think he actually finds a point where he thinks, can we get a bit of a break here? Shall I just? nut someone or make sure that my head's in the way of it just seems it's just it's just remarkable it's like every single match because he's just all action that's what he's like James Bond he's just all action 
suave and handsome. That's what he does. And occasionally he'll get something broken on his face. That's what happens. Does he just cut easily? Is he like one of those boxers with a bit of a reputation for? Is he the Amir Khan of of the team? (laughs) Or like the wrestlers, pro wrestlers who deliberately hit above the eyebrow because that's that's a place where you most easily bleed so that you can have the... But in terms of Cher and just the the defence in general and particularly Dan Byrne, I know know Jacob picked out him in possession. I thought they dealt very, very well with a lot of the aerial bombardment. I mean, Dan Byrne, I don't know how many he had as he, he made but between all of the defense I thought that did very well with that after an initial sort of a couple of crosses had come in the box and one that flicked off Botman that Visser maybe should have got to at the back post beyond that and the hickey chance I thought that they were very good at just sort of absorbing what was in some ways not route one but it was just they had that you don't get many Premier League teams who do that now and Brentford mixed it up a little bit they look for those second balls mm. for, to get that clean sheet though the first clean sheet since is it February or whenever it, that they have had the, oh, only second since February I think it is they've got the, they had the fewest during that time and for a side who last season for the first half it in particular barely conceded a goal that feels like a huge moment that hopefully they can build on it's also dealing with the set pieces like Brentford are an outstanding set piece side like despite the good football which they play that is kind of where they get their advantage and Newcastle dealt with that really well I think until I think it was Vissa had a chance at the back post after that uh, hilarious share um histrionics um apart from that <laughs> they really managed to limit them and Jason Tindall was like notably notably visible during those like him and how do swap places and it's usually during set pieces that tinder comes forward but he was really actively trying to change stuff like micromanaging it there's one point where he was sort of pulled bruno sort of two yards further forward to deal with his positioning um so shout out to the work which tinder must have done during the week there yes absolutely let's uh let's have a little chat about those um controversial moments then um let's start with the disallowed goal chris um it had a feeling of that crystal palace uh incident with joe willock all over again didn't it but um wilson gets a little nudge into the goalkeeper just before the ball starts to drop and i'm i think it's a tangle i don't think it's a foul um i think the goalkeeper's a bit weak and you know we know they're protected but I don't know. How did you say it? Oh, I think it's very soft. I don't think the goal should be disallowed at all. Actually, when what was interesting was I thought the referee had given the goal, but it turns out that he hadn't given the goal, and it was he decided it wasn't a goal, and that it was VAR who basically had to check to see whether it should be, and that's partly why I think it wasn't overturned. I also then thought, oh, has Harvey Barnes handled it beforehand because the ball bounces up? I still haven't worked out whether it actually did hit his hand or not, but that wasn't the reason the goal was disallowed. The goal was disallowed allegedly for a foul from Wilson on Flecken. I thought Flecken just completely lost. Yeah track of the ball and basically the referee bailed him out and, and he, you you don't want keepers to be getting completely smacked out of the way or whatever in the box but the, you you are able to use your body in that area and it basically it was a goalkeeping error and the goalkeeping error was def- was basically bailed out by the referee giving him the foul I thought that was a ridiculous decision I definitely think the goal should have stood the claim has been that it was Wilson kind of rather than backing into him that he sort of managed to lock arms with him which I watched back to see if I could see it. Their arms do sort of lock a little bit, but they're hardly playing twister. Yeah. It is quite entertaining watching that with George Culkin, whose shock and distaste at that decision, and particularly... Modern football in general. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Was quite something to behold. And so without him being here, I I I have checked in with AI Culkin for his impression of this incident. Uh, if we want to, if we want to hear, yeah, come on, let's hear it. Definitely, always up for this. In today's footballing landscape, we find ourselves burdened with a rule book thicker than an encyclopedia and a penchant for nitpicking every little touch, nudge, or challenge that happens on the pitch. Callum Wilson, a striker whose job it is to score goals, 
went for a 50-50 ball with Mark Flecken. In a time when defenders are coddled like fragile porcelain dolls, a striker actually challenging a goalkeeper for a ball is treated as if it were a war crime. Sure, there was contact. <laughs> of course there was. That's the nature of it. Football is a contact sport, or at least it used to be. <laughs> it's a sorry state of affairs when a forward's legitimate attempt to score is thwarted by the ever-tightening grip of VAR and an overly cautious refereeing culture. The game used to be a battle of skill, strength and cunning. Now it's a ballet of caution. That That is astonishing. My favourite bit about this is that George basically refuses to listen to E.L. Colgan as well, so he hasn't listened to the episode where we did yeah. it. So he still doesn't actually know how worryingly accurate this actually is. Always nice to have E.L. Colgan on the show, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I'm interested in is to see, to know what both genuine Colgan and E.L. Colgan's reaction was to the penalty as well, because in the... In the pub, as I said, with a lot of uh, Newcastle fans with Newcastle United black and white striped glasses on, when the penalty was given, initially watching it on the TV, I thought first time I saw it, that looks like a Stonewall penalty. Yeah. But when I saw it again, I'm not convinced that it was a penalty. Now I know that I know that you can argue that Flecken, to a degree, is sort of rash rushing out, but I also think he tries to a pull out of the challenge and b. Gordon's basically decided he's not keeping the ball in and instead what he decides to do is to try and basically keep his leg in and, and, and basically let Flecken hit him. So I thought the penalty was soft. On saying that, I also am pleased that VAR did not overturn it because I wouldn't have given it initially, but I don't think it was a howler in the sense that VAR should have overturned it. So there's a sort of contradiction in in my own yeah. view of that. But yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a very soft penalty, but I didn't think it should be overturned. I think Anthony Gordon's been quite clever though, hasn't he, Jacob? He's kind of positioned himself in a position where there is going to be contact, whatever happens, and then he gives the referee a decision to make. Yeah, he's been really canny. I kind of wonder if it was 10 yards further up the pitch, not by the byline, it would have been an absolute stonewall penalty. And kind of just the extent to which the byline and realism comes into it, or do you have to take it as a kind of instant alone? The thing I also find funny is thinking back to January where he first arrived and how Newcastle fans were like absolutely hated or some fans absolutely hated the idea of Gordon joining for this very sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And now he's doing it. It's like, great, cool. Three points back on track. <laughs> Momentum gained. Good lad. Might be a diving shithouse, but he's our diving shithouse now. So. Exactly. Time <laughs> is a flat circle. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the, the second penalty as well, Chris, uh, awarded before VAR probably correctly when you're looking at it overturned it reversed that handball decision so one pen that was a bit harsh another that you might call a 50 50 but a goal that should stood so Newcastle probably got the rub of the green in the end yeah I think so I mean again I was I, I kept my mouth shut at this point because every when I was in the pub because every other Newcastle, every Newcastle fan was sort of looking at me as if to say he's desperate to say that the second one isn't a penalty when it was given because I didn't think it was a penalty I thought it was harsh I think that a Barnes has, has sort of jumped on him. Not that I think that's a foul, but I think that that f- sort of forces him to the way that he's going. It also hits his head before it hits his arm. And the talk of, why his arm's in an unnatural position. Where do you put your arms in that situation? You use your arms to sort of balance. And so I think that it's so it's such a close, close proximity. I didn't think that was a penalty. So yes, probably overall, fine. Newcastle eventually got a, got a soft penalty, but should have had the initial goal. But just speaking about the penalty, what... A penalty that was. Oh, I mean, George oh. Colgan probably hated it because it wasn't a full-on twat, but didn't need to be. It no, so it precise. didn't need to be. But you know, Colgan doesn't believe in in precision. He believes in just smacking the ball as hard as possible. But the, to have the balls to do that, basically, he said, Wilson said post-match, 
I I sort of know that with all the analysis nowadays, the keeper probably knows where I'm going to put it. So despite that, despite having that, to still have the confidence in yourself to be able to go, no, I'm just going to side foot this top right-hand corner was just a fantastic penalty. I mean, he can have a, he can have a contract until 2035. He's going to keep doing that. That was something else, wasn't it, Jacob? It was coolness personified. Yeah, I mean... In a game where there's so much uncertainty in a lot of ways, I mean, how I think said it was strange, nothing was really happening, and, and the uncertainty of all the decisions, the only thing which was truly emphatic was Wilson's goal. So that's the only exclamation point we sort of had for 90 minutes, and it was what ultimately settled it and felt quite appropriate. Yeah, there was nobody saving that. Um, good game management as well towards the end, Chris. Eddie Howe only used one of his subs, the uh, Alexander Isak, £63 million striker, stayed on the bench with one eye, I would imagine, on Milan. Yeah, it was only Miguel Almiron who came on. And, I mean, that was, that was interesting to see. And I think partly if people thought that against Liverpool, some of his decisions, at least there was suggestions that maybe his substitutions were again basically predetermined, I think to an extent, unless he had to empty the bench, this was predetermined given the way that Newcastle are going to have to not only manage this week, but the following few weeks, because remember they've got a midweek game next week and the week after as well. They have a lot of matches coming up and so players who do start will, for the most part, I think, need to see out those games or it'll be decided in advance that they'll play an hour and then someone comes on for half an hour and vice versa. And so only Miguel Almiron came onto the onto the field. The starting lineup managed to see Newcastle through and I think that you'll see some of those other players come on uh, in the next week. And it was it was, a, it was a vote of confidence from Howe as well because it hadn't quite worked for that first hour necessarily. But rather than try and change everything up, he sort of stuck with the plan, stuck with the players who were there and they managed to deliver for him. Yeah, and as was alluded to earlier on, Jacob, as well, that back five, who was so brilliant last year, they've, they've managed to get another clean sheet. But I think it's pretty obvious that Sven Botman's importance uh, can't be underestimated, can it? He was he was magnificent again. It's just a calmness he brings to everything. Like, it's just no drama, it feels like, when he's involved. There's not sort of like, you, you, there's some central defenders who you see sort of like, when they have a good game, it feels like everything's about them. Mm. And that's not the case with Botman. When he has a good game, you almost don't see his highlights because he's just sort of there in the right spot. It's kind of that old concept of sort of like a good centre-back should never have to slide tackle. He couldn't be a footballer from any other country, could he? He could only be Dutch. It's just the Dutchness of him. Yeah, and, and I mean, to be fair, Fabian Scher, um, after the game, gave an incredibly Swiss answer. He talked about the whole squad watching the Champions League draw together. And kind of uh, the question was asked, oh, you know, how excited were you? You know, what were you saying after uh, after those teams came out of the hat? And he's just saying, well, we we thought that we're now going to have to go and play those teams. <laughs> I mean, he's right. Yeah. yeah. He is. Yeah. So, yeah. Never get too high, never get too low. <laughs> Quite neutral, in other words. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant stuff. Um, yeah, if Liverpool, Chris, are our bogey side, I think it's fair to say we are Brentford's four wins against them since they were promoted back the Premier League in 2021, more than any other team. Yeah, and I think that Brentford can feel that in at least some of those matches, they were very unlucky. Certainly first 45 minutes down in, in, in West London last year, they really outplayed Newcastle and Newcastle managed to turn that around. This game, I think that certainly first half, I'd say that they shaded it. Um, even the 5-1 last season, I think the scoreline in the end flattered Newcastle a little bit. They basically picked off Brentford in, in for, with a high press and scored just about every chance that they had. But Brentford, again, caused them a few problems. So yeah. Newcastle have found a way to, to, to keep 
beating Brentford, and I think that's possibly why Thomas Frank got a little bit irate afterwards. And I think he accused, is am I right, Jacob, that he accused some journalists of having like a Newcastle bias in the tone of the questions? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was a very kind of, it's quite a Jurgen Kloppy. Well, what do you think? He asked... <laughs> If he thought it was a penalty or not, the, the journalist said, yes, I think it was. The re- response from Frank was, well, are you from Newcastle? The reply back was, well, I'm from Hartlepool. And <laughs> I think it's quite clear that Thomas Frank had absolutely no idea where Hartlepool was because then he went back to uh, <laughs> went back to answering the question. Um, it, it, wasn't ag- it wasn't aggressive. I saw somebody on Twitter yesterday call him Jürgen Flop because of his hair. I thought it was quite, quite a nice little thing. <laughs> I'd, if my hair, though, was still his quality at that age, oh, I mean, he's got, he's, got, he's got a good routine going on. He has, definitely. He's been on the rosemary oil, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> lovely stuff. Uh, right, then, let's move on a little bit. Well done to the women as well, by the way, who took three points at Derby County and now the only team in the FAWNL, Northern Premier Division, with a 100% record, Jacob. They're doing well, aren't they? They are. Three wins from three. If they'd have had that game against Halifax, they'd be one point off the leaders, Burnley, who they play on Sunday in what will be, hopefully, a top-of-the-table oh. clash. It's a, it's a bit of a ding-dong setting itself Potential up. barn burner, that. Potential barn burner. So that's a two o'clock kickoff on Sunday at Kingston Park, so just before kickoff against Sheffield United. So a potential good double-header so for people to get down to because this does look a significant game. And they're helped by the former Bridget Galloway, who's summer signing from uh, Durham, Local from Gateshead, and she has been in absolutely brilliant goal scoring form so far. This one was really impressive. Some goal she scored on it. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it was the way that there's about five play, there's about five Derby County defenders around her, and she somehow sort of rises above. It's like those cheerleading routines where sort of one person gets lifted up by a crowd <laughs> around them, and she just manages to nod it in like. It's the most kind of beautiful, scrappy goal I've ever seen. Somebody smuggled a stepladder onto the pitch. That's what's Literally, literally. Just, it's like she's sort of using a couple of people's knees as ways to get up. Um, but yeah, like, and then they saw it out really well in the second half. Big test of them on Sunday against sort of the favourites for the league, it emerges, it seems. So um, yeah, get yourself down. Absolutely. Right then, we'll have a little break and we'll be back in a minute to talk about, check this out, Chris, Newcastle United's first game in the Champions League for 21 years against AC Milan. Wow. Wow, indeed. Chris, wow. I'm just going to nip to Lou quickly. Good. I'll do the same if you're going to do that. Yeah, keep that in, Ollie. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey. 
Right then, chaps, it's 21 years since our last Champions League fixture and 10 years since we were last in Europe. I don't know about you, Chris Woff, but I am giddy as fuck at the minute at the prospect of this game. Yeah, I think, I mean, and the fact that it's San Siro first match, AC Milan away, I think is the, is the one oh. that really to, to, to pick the, the multiple winners, storied history. Obviously, Newcastle's last actual away game in the Champions League was also at the San Siro, albeit against Inter rather than AC Milan. And uh, I think the only odd thing is the fact the sort of kickoff time. I think some Newcastle fans will be struggling with it being five forty-five UK time. I might not even be in from work by that point. Yeah, exactly. Some fans are going to struggle for that, um, but I'm sure people will either be trying to take the afternoon off or rushing to to the pub from work or whatever it may be because they will not want to miss what is an absolutely huge match for Newcastle United. I'm hoping there's going to be a bit of a vibe. Like, Do you remember when you were at school and England would be playing in the World Cup and occasionally like, one teacher would let you like wheel in a TV to kind of watch it during the day? I remember that happening, yeah. Was that last year for you, Jacob? Yeah, it was. was I remember it. Too. <laughs> I remember, genuinely, the 2014 World Cup, we got given a bit of time off our uh, GCSEs to, uh, to watch games. These pampered youth and their televisions. I know, I know. <laughs> Let's be honest, it's a good thing we're not playing Inter Milan again instead of uh, AC Milan, judging by the result of the weekend. They absolutely hammered AC Milan 5-1, Jacob, didn't they? Yep, and, and it's quite interesting for what Newcastle might be able to learn from it. So Liam Tham, Liam Tham, Liam Tham. I apologise for my butchering of his name. No, you just give him the Irish pronunciation of that. that yeah, good. yeah, well, <laughs> he's written a really good piece basically analysing where it all went wrong for Milan. And so basically headlines are slow centre-backs, so hopefully a, a good run-out for, you'd imagine Isaac will be back in, starting. Yeah. Gordon on the left. Probably Almiron back on the right. Yeah, you'd be expecting, so. but that's something they can do. Talking about Hernandez's passing and a degree of ambition in that, which can be really, really dangerous, but when it goes wrong, leads to really good chances in transition. And Newcastle have a side pretty well suited to that, particularly if you think about kind of a... Slow ships, which Milan have at centre-back. Yet, they still kind of controlled possession. Yeah. They just didn't do that much with it. Didn't create many chances. You could sort of say that's something which applies to Newcastle this season, in, in fairness. But Newcastle should not be going in with any sort of massive inferiority complex. And given how strong the Premier League is and how strong, how sort of difficult their opening to the season has been, they've kind of got to go in thinking that there's nothing actually different about this game, it's just a slightly longer plane ride. Yes, absolutely. And as we discussed before, Chris, as well, how healthy subs back against Brentford, you would think Alexander Isak would come in. Would you imagine Callum Wilson would step out? I think so. I mean, Wilson will be frustrated by that, I'm sure. But yeah. I just I said this last week on the podcast, I, th- I said we'd learn a lot about what Howe actually thinks about the depth of his squad this week in terms of how he does rotate. And he made five changes for Saturday, albeit some of them enforced. I suspect we'll see two or three changes for this, if not more, and then similar again at the weekend. And and that's that's what Newcastle needed to build over the summer. And although there have been questions about the areas that they did strengthen, clearly they have greater depth in, in those positions. We've discussed for Newcastle how important financially the Champions League is, both this season and in terms of long-term, in terms of regularly getting there. But what you have to remember is that for someone like AC Milan and for clubs in Europe, particularly in, in Italy and, and France and the like, to get into the Champions League for them is absolutely huge. For them to keep competing and so for them to have suffered such a huge defeat in the league at the weekend, they need a response next weekend. in the match. So does that mean that their focus shifts a little bit and Newcastle having won means that they can focus a little bit more on that? I can't necessarily answer those questions, but all of these problems about rotation that we speak about with Newcastle, the same applies to AC Milan and the other clubs are going to play as well. 
They've had this absolutely massive flux in midfield over the summer. I mean, and part of this is due to Newcastle signing Sancho Tonali, but they've kind of brought in four or five new midfielders and are kind of working that out on the fly slightly. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. But as much as we've been talking about Newcastle's midfield and how much that's been thrown uh, by just the introduction of one player, so we're having to get used to that. Milan kind of have that problem on steroids. And they also still have 36-year-old Olivier Giroud playing up front for them as well, which is a, an interesting one. He's still putting the goals in now and again, but you would imagine his legs aren't quite as... Uh, as youthful as they once were, and you would think Sven Botman and, and Fabian Scher might have a bit more of an easy time with him. Yeah, although he has a very good record against Newcastle. Very good record. I don't know the exact figures, but every time he used to play against Newcastle, he would basically score. So I do think you've just spoken that into existence, Taylor, so I will be blaming... I'm not having anything from you about that when it comes to penalties and the stuff you were tweeting out on Saturday at Jacob Whitehead. Firstly, I was done in by an incorrect media pack um, statistic, so that wasn't actually the case. And B, a penalty wasn't given, so there was no curse actually there. Um, Sandro Tonali, Chris, he was held back, wasn't he, as a, an emergency option on Saturday, but they'll want to use him for this one, surely. He'll be dying to get back to the San Siro and play against his boyhood club. Well, Howe even alluded to this and said how Tonali would only have been used in an emergency and basically said to give him the best chance of being available for Tuesday. That He, he did have a slight thigh injury, but um, the fact he was on the bench symbolises that, that obviously it, it isn't too serious and yeah, he'll be absolutely desperate to play. And again, I think we'll see some rotation in that midfield. I think you'll probably see two of the starting three continue, probably Longstaff yeah. and Bruno Gamaraes, and then Tonali to come in there, given that Joel Linton is, is unavailable. He suffered a recurrence of a knee injury. He's going to be out for a few weeks, is how Eddie Howe described it. So Joel Linton's is a big miss, albeit he hasn't been on top form so far this season, partly maybe because of those uh, physical constraints that, that he's had. But it'll be fascinating to see how Tonali does perform back at AC Milan because he was a firm favourite by the end of his time there. Yeah. And uh, obviously a wonderful debut for Newcastle followed by a couple of not quite as impressive performances. But this this Champions League, he excelled in the, in the semi-final even when uh, AC Milan were turned over by Inter last year. So I, I think that he'll be one to watch on Tuesday, definitely. Joe Linton will be a bit of a miss, won't he, Jacob? They'll, they'll miss his physicality in midfield and his running. I think so, just especially seeing as Milan would want to kind of be in control of possession, just the amount of ground he can cover. But at the same time, thinking it's probably long staff coming in for him, you aren't necessarily going to miss that. And Joe Linton has been slightly lacking in form so far mm. this season. Like He's not a kind of... He's not the Jolinton we've come to expect since his kind of Jolinaissance, as it's been talked about. But um, maybe actually a bit of time to rehab, we might see a better Jolinton at the end of it because how, just to clue people in after the game revealed that he suffered a recurrence of his knee injury while on international duty to Brazil and would be out for a couple of weeks. Right. Hmm. And I mean that squad's going to get stretched, isn't it, Chris? There'll be some hectic weeks in the next uh, in the next period of football. And Newcastle weren't able to name a full twenty-five man Champions League squad. Can you explain why, Chris? Yeah, I mean, just in terms of that squad being stretched, just in the midfield area. Obviously, Joe Willock is out until after the next international break as well, due to he had a hamstring injury and has suffered a, an Achilles injury. So Newcastle are getting stretched in in that area, but. The, I won't get into the full minutiae of the difference between the Premier League squad and the Champions League squad because it's pretty boring. But essentially, Newcastle have named a full 25-man Premier League squad, but only a 23-man senior A-list, as it's called, Champions League squad. So that means they haven't been able to name Mark Gillespie, Emil Kraft, Javier Manquillo or Matt Ritchie. Um, and that's basically because 
to, to name a full 25-man squad in the Champions League, you've got to have eight homegrown players, four of whom have to have been tra- club-trained, which is trained at the club between the ages of 15 and 21. And Newcastle only have three in Elliot Anderson, Paul Dummett and Sean Longstaff. Elliot Anderson is in the B list as well, so it doesn't even count towards the A list, which means that you then lose a couple of positions because you can't name players in those certain areas. So right. they, they still have a lot of options because they have named some in the in, in, in the B list. It isn't the, you, the four players I've named, Gillespie, Kraft, Mankiw and Ritchie, haven't featured this season. They're not exactly a, a first teamers in that sense, but still it shows the complications of the Champions League squad. And again, long-term, the need for Newcastle to start bringing through more of their own players because if you can do that, then you can name a full squad. Whereas if you haven't brought players through, then you don't have the depth that other people can necessarily uh, name in their squad. Absolutely right then. So that's the football out of the way. But in a sense, this game, this season, uh, is as much about the fans as it is about what happens on the pitch. And we tweeted out this morning from our, uh, our podcast account asking for your highlights from the Champions League from years gone by, and we had a couple of belters here. Uh, Steve Talentire, I was in a bar in small town Italy for the 1997 Barcelona game, chucking coins in a payphone so I could hear the radio commentary at my parents' house. Cost about a week's wages, totally worth it. Listening alongside me was a Catalan girl. We are now married, despite Tino Aspria's best efforts. That is beautiful. I just want to know what the quality was like in terms of a radio line down down to a payphone. I just thought to me, and every time you'd hear that, that, that little beep when it's going to go down, you just put another coin in. That's absolutely oh, brilliant. Bips, I've got my yeah. bips have gone. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it can't be anywhere near as bad as though, and that's Jacob's uh, live stream quality <laughs> feed from the other week, which he recorded from a potato. Yeah. Let's have a look. Peter on Fire 78 is watching us get pumped 4-1 by Inter Milan at my mate's house. Uh, we'll be travelling to Dortmund with that same mate all these years later. Toonami Toronto says meeting Sir Bobby and the full squad inside the Duomo in Milan. The atmosphere in the away end at the San Siro, which was at least 50% over capacity. Uh, seeing Andy Griffin humble, possibly the greatest goalkeeper ever at St James's Park as well. Yes, the Andy Griffin goal against Juventus. That's one, I think... I don't even think Andy Griffin can believe that that happened. That's uh, one of Dan Byrne's favourite moments, I think, that he always refers to is when he was uh, sat in the East Stand as a as a season ticket holder as well. So, yes. Some, and then, then, obviously, Bellamy's goal at Feyenoord. I did, I did a piece a couple of years ago where I spoke to a lot of people about that and the, and the, the number of, of fans who remember that sort of moment. Whether, whether it was Bellamy's goal or not, given that he kicked it in off the goalkeeper and it probably should have been a known goal. But regardless, you can't really take it away from Bellamy because that is such a, a huge moment in Newcastle United's history. I was on a late shift in a call centre listening, supposed to be taking calls and listening with one ear to my radio of, of that, that game when Bellamy scored that goal. And I jumped up and sent my chair flying across the office, was pulled into a side room and told off quite sternly by a manager uh, who said, you need to behave better than this when you're at work, <laughs> which I thought was quite nice. Do they not just think you were dead keen at your job at celebrating a sale or a problem solved on... <laughs> Come on! <laughs> I've solved a customer complaint. Exactly. Like You should have rewarded your passion. That should have been in promotion and... Uh, Overtime pay. Um, let's have a look. Any others here that we've uh, that we've missed? Stuart Sinclair says Tino. That is all. Uh, Grainy VHS recording that match is likely still sat somewhere in my mum and dad's house. That that Barcelona game. I think when you talk about Newcastle in the Champions League, Chris, that Barcelona game is the one that springs to mind, isn't it? Oh, it really does. I mean, all the Keith Gillespie crosses into the box and and Tino's finishes and the and the way that it became dramatic as well when Barcelona came back into the game. But in response to that, does Jacob know what a VHS is? Um, a video. 
right? You have to like rewind the spokes, the spool, and play. Don't use your finger to do it though. <laughs> do you know? I, I'm Don't. thinking of like small tape cassettes rather than the big ones. But yes, I do have some. I do. My, my dad had old recordings of the 1995 Rugby World Cup on VHS, and that's my only knowledge of them. Good lord. Good Lord, Chris. <laughs> they did sell the bot. I, I believe that Nick, the Newcastle club shop used to sell them because they, they used to sell the Hawaii, Hawaii Five nearly against Man United. But I believe there was also do, uh, videos, sorry, VHSs of the five Hang of the three two over Barcelona. Hawaii Five Nil. Did you just say? Is that not what it's called? Well, no, because it's a play on words of Hawaii Five O, isn't oh, it? God, it's, I, it's Hawaii uh, Five O, Chris. Yeah, fair, fair point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that went right above my head. <laughs> Quite clearly, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough nonsense for this week I think right we're all on Twitter quite easy to find and the show is as well at pod on the time and if you hate Twitter or X with a passion uh, you can email us at pod on the time at theathletic.com thank you very much for your time chaps thank you Chris you're very welcome um, if any of you who are out there in Milan and do see George and he seems a little bit sick of his life already then just, 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 just give him a, a wink and a smile and I'm sure that'll cheer him up yeah, and thanks a lot to you as well, Jacob Whitehead. Cheers for your time. Thank you very much. Yep, just to reiterate Chris's message, please make sure to ask George your most complex tactical questions because we really do want to hear him write about how Newcastle dismantled Milan's double pivot after the weekend. And hopefully that will be <laughs> a result. Oh, Chris as well. Somebody, I have to I have to bring this up. Chris, somebody tweeted saying they'd seen uh, a thing on Twitter where uh, an account was referring to pitch tilt as uh, a stat and we have to mention this to you is this people are just making shit up now aren't they this is this a real thing pitch tilt is that not one of those is, do you not have that and is there not a sort of game of table football where you can tilt it as well is that is that not what they're talking about is that, that is that? literal pitch tilt isn't yeah, it? yeah literal pitch tilt no i mean yeah this this that will definitely blow ai culkin's mind so um that's all i'm saying Right, anyway, let's wrap things up. Thanks a lot, chaps. Uh, thank you to everyone out there for listening as well. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Uh, George, if you're listening, enjoy Milan. I'm sure you will. Uh, and we shall speak to you on the other side of that later this week from everybody at Pod on the Time. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Arrivederci from the past. Ciao. The Athletic.